Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Ah, well, good morning. <laughs> Isn't it great that we serve a God where our past doesn't matter? It just, yeah, down a little bit maybe. I'll talk louder. Oh, wait a minute. Thing is like going the wrong way. That ought to help. Okay. Uh, yeah, it just uh, doesn't matter. You know, there's, there's a passage in uh, Ezekiel that is, is kind of sobering in that regard. So it talks about if, if there's a man who does right, but then in the end he turns and he turns away from God, then... All that stuff that he did before <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> but if there's someone who does wrong, and then in the end they turn toward God, then then that person God accepts. So uh, we've got to spend a lot less time thinking about the past. And a lot more time thinking about now and how to be ready for the future. And, and that's really what the message is about today. It's about being ready as an individual and, and as, as a people for what is coming. You know, if, if I were to ask, and I, and I, will, I will do this right now, uh, I will ask, how, how many of you think that we are in the last days? Okay, well, that's, everybody's hand should go up because that started in Acts chapter 2, okay? How, how many think that we are approaching the day of the Lord or the end of days? And... That's, that's the vast majority of us. Okay, so Jesus tells us some things that will be coming as we approach the end of days because he wanted his people to be prepared for what would come. And it, I think it's really important for us to take Jesus' advice on becoming prepared for the days that are ahead. Would you agree? Yeah, because it, when, when we look at some of these passages, and, and we're going to focus mostly in the book of Matthew today, we're, we're going to look a little bit at Matthew 24, and then uh, we're going to look at some things from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, and then next week, 
I'm, I'm going to try to put this in an even more urgent context, possibly. Uh, usually I like to put things in context in the very beginning, and I, I put this in a general context that we, we are approaching the last days. Uh, the things that Jesus said will happen will indeed happen. We, we don't know if these things are, are going to start happening in six months, uh, in two years, in ten years. We, we don't know for sure when these things are coming, but we can be assured that if Jesus said they were coming, they are coming. So um, this, this sort of is a continuation of our spiritual warfare series. And I guess uh, one way you could look at what I'll be saying today is these, these are Jesus' instructions for basic training for his army as we approach the end of days. And basic training is not a lot of fun. It's work. <laughs> it stretches you. And, and we, we need this. Uh, if physically, our physical bodies, if, if we do not exercise, we, we do not uh, utilize our, our physical bodies and, and try to stretch their capabilities, capacities, then, then we begin to lose. We, we go backwards instead of forwards. The same thing is true spiritually. If, if we do not press forward into the things of God in, in a purposeful way, then we, we end up losing ground because there, there just isn't a, a third way where you can just kind of tie yourself in like you would rock climbing and say, okay, I'm going to rest for a while. Because that, that just doesn't work. So let's pray and, and we'll begin. Because uh, I, I have to share uh, part of what, what I'm sharing with you today is uh, part of my own recent journey. Uh, because, you know, sometimes we, uh, I don't want to say lose our focus, but our focus gets shifted in a way that's not healthy too much toward the things that we can see. And our focus needs to be on the eternal realm that, that we cannot see. And, and we can't completely ignore the realm that we do see because we have to live in it and work in it and relate to people in it and, and all that. But again, if, if we don't purposefully pursue spiritual things, uh, they, they are too easily uh, put on the back burner. It's, it's the, the tyranny of the urgent. And, and if, if you've 
study any of uh, Stephen Cuddy, Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, uh, you know, you, you can't spend too much time on the things that are urgent but not important. <laughs> you, and, and that is, we can fall into that easily. So you've got to carve out a, a little space for those things <laughs> and, and leave them there because they're not that critical. And then there are those things that are really important that, that are not time critical that, that we need to carve out a bigger space for <laughs> and, and make sure that we dedicate that space to spiritual things because those, those are the things that uh, if, if we ignore, there, there is not an immediate discernible uh, price that we're paying but, but there is a price that we're paying. And, and it, it, can, it does add up over time. And there, what I'm talking about today is if we will pursue these things that the Lord is speaking to us in, in a purposeful way for six months, we'll, we'll be able to look back six months from now and say, wow, I've gotten somewhere. Whereas if, if we spend six months uh, operating in, in the tyranny of, of the urgent and kind of pushing spiritual things aside, in six months we'll look back and, and we'll think, ooh, ooh how, how did I get here? <laughs> and how do I get back there? Well, this is all about the how do I get back there? So, the, the first part, and, and yes, we are going to pray. I said we were going to do that. Uh, we're, we're going to look at some things that Jesus says in Matthew 24 that are sobering and, and that should give us uh, not only encouragement, but a little bit of urgency if, if we do believe that we're approaching the end of days, and I do believe that we are approaching the end of days. And, and there, there are numerous reasons for that based on spiritual uh, or prophecies in, in the Old and New Testament. But one of the things that uh, I haven't really talked about, but it's, it's pretty commonly understood among most Bible scholars, that the Lord, the picture of creation of six days and a seventh day of rest was, was kind of a, uh, a foreshadowing of history. That a day to the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. So if, if we look at that six days of creation as foreshadowing history, there, there would be six days of work and then one day of rest. And Jesus came at the end of the fourth day. Now we've had two more days since Jesus, 2,000 years. Where does that leave us? It, it leaves us about ready to enter into the seventh day, which 
most scholars who, who believe in a literal millennium uh, would, would call the millennium. The, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth with those who will enter his kingdom. And I'm going to get into that part a little more next week because it's really important that we understand who will be there with Jesus in his kingdom in the millennium. Okay, so let's pray and go to Matthew 24. Uh, Father, thank you that you're concerned about our present and you give us words of wisdom for the future and that you're with us to empower us, to lead us. And I, I pray, Father, that, that we will uh, become a spiritually focused people uh, and that we will be a prepared people as the things that you talked about uh, come to pass on the earth. So thank you, Lord. So Matthew 24. Um, and just, just one more thing that kind of puts this message in, in context uh, before we get to, to Matthew 24. Uh, and this is not on the, the slides. Uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Uh, and, and I'll get more into this next week too, probably. But there, there were five who were prepared, and there were five who were not prepared. But they were all looking for the bridegroom. So presumably they were all believers. They, they were looking for the bridegroom to come. But five were ready and, and five were not ready. So my, my purpose for the message today and, and next week is that we would be part of the five who are ready. We're not only looking for the bridegroom to come, but we've, we've prepared ourselves for the time of his return. Okay, Matthew 24, starting in verse 9. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole passage because I, I would really like to go through all of Matthew 24, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. Uh, but I know most of us have lunch plans, so <laughs> we won't be able to look at the entire chapter on all of those. So starting in verse 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, not even many, the love of most, will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, 
and then the end will come. And, and we, uh, when we look at that last verse there, we, we are so close to this actually being fulfilled. It, it will very likely happen within the next five years. Uh, that's what mission experts believe, is, is that the gospel will have reached every known people group on the earth within the next five years. And that, that is an amazing thing, uh, that, that we are living in, in this day. And, and this verse doesn't say that immediately upon the gospel being, being preached to the last known people group that Jesus is going to return. But this is the prophecy that remains to be fulfilled before Jesus may return. So that's important. We are very close. Jumping back in with verse 21. For then there will be great distress. Some versions say great tribulation, great difficulty, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. That does not sound good. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So, Jesus goes on to talk a little bit more about false prophets and identifying them by their fruits. And, and this, this, is, this is a really important thing for, for us to keep in mind. That just because someone is performing miracles, miracles of healing, casting out demons, whatever it might be, doesn't mean that you can trust that person. And, and, and that, that, that seems like it should not be the case, but it's one of the very things that Jesus warns us about. That, that we have to look not at how the person is being used in the miraculous. We have to look at the fruit of their life. And, and that's, you know, even, even for us, uh, for, for people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, uh, you know, we can be used in the miraculous and, and we, we can't trust our salvation to the fact that God used us to do something amazing. Because that isn't going to get us there, as, as we'll see a little bit later in, in this chapter. Going on to verse 36. So no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. So, as it was in in the day of Noah, it will be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. And we we know uh, that one of the signs of, of the days of Noah was prevalent evil on the face of the earth. Uh, I mean, things things had gotten so bad that that God's solution was to kind of hit the reset button and say, okay, I, I've got this one man and this this one family who are still looking to me. I'm I'm gonna start over with them. And and he threatened to do that with Moses, remember? He wanted to wipe out the children of Israel. And, and Moses said, no, God, you can't do that. It, it will ruin the testimony of what you've done to, to take these people out of Egypt. Well, things must have been really bad at the time of Noah. And, and Jesus said that the harvest is the end of the age. And, and what, what happens at the harvest is all of the seeds that have been sown, they, they grow to maturity and they bear fruit. And, and, and this is all of the evil seeds that have been planted on the earth and in the people and all of the good seeds that have been planted on the earth and, and in, in the people. It's, it's all going to come to a time of harvest. And I believe it's going to be the most glorious day of the church for those who have made themselves ready. There, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like greater than the book of Acts because it's, it's going to be people all over the world, not just in, in one little uh, place in Palestine. But it's also going to be horrendously evil. As Jesus said, there, there is going to come great persecution. And the love of most will grow cold. And, and we're going to be betrayed by people that we have loved and trusted. And we, we've got to be ready for this. And... and the, the thing is, uh, I mean, there, there's going to be martyrs. There's going to be a lot of martyrs. And, you know, the, the question that comes to mind is, would you lay down your life for someone you don't know? And, and, and the answer, really, for all of us is, is probably a, a big no. So we, we've got to know God. We, we have to know 
Jesus. We, we, we have to know. Because <laughs> if, if we know God and we know Jesus, we, we know the Holy Spirit within us from time spent and fellowship and sweet times in God's presence, then, then we will be able to give our life for someone that we know and love. But man, if, if Jesus has, has just been a concept to us, uh, something that, that was just in our mind that we agreed with, I don't think that's going to get us where we need to be in, in these last days. So, uh, getting, getting ready. Uh, you know, we, we have to understand this. We, we have to prepare ourselves, prepare our, our soul, and our, we are being prepared in our spirit that we will experience... If, if the day of the Lord comes in our lifetime, and I, I absolutely firmly believe that we are pretty close to seeing this happen, that we will experience persecution, temptation, perversion, greed, and evil that will put unique pressures on the church as we approach the end of the age. It, it's going to be pressure like the church has never seen. And, and I mean, worldwide, we, we are seeing this already. Uh, how many Christians were slaughtered last week on the earth? How many the week before? It's... It's in the hundreds, and many weeks it's in the thousands, and some weeks it's in the ten thousands. So just because it's not happening in our streets right now doesn't mean it's not happening, because it is happening. Uh, there, there is evil at work on the earth that is primarily coming against followers of Jesus that is intense right now. And, and the goal of ISIS and the, the Islamic fundamentalist jihadists is to take over the earth and implement their own Sharia law on the whole planet. And and they look at some of their own prophecies and they think they're very close to that coming to pass. So this, this is the context of, of the day in, in which we live. Now, what, what does Jesus say about being prepared? Um, <clears throat> I'm going to skip forward to Matthew Seven and probably come back to Matthew 6 in a little while. But understand the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in Matthew 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, many believe that it, it's the greatest single teaching ever given. And I, I would agree with that. Uh, there, if, if we could just live by those three chapters, we, we would be fine. Because Jesus really covers it all. And, and he's speaking to people who, who thought they were uh, spiritually poor, lacking. And one of the first things he says is, Hey, you guys, if you're poor in spirit, if you're humble, you are blessed. And, and so he, he turned the whole religious system up, upside down with the first part of the sermon. And, and the other thing about the sermon is understand that this is in, in the midst of the greatest revival that ever took place on the earth up to this time. Jesus uh, is, is traveling around and the people are bringing him the sick and the demon-possessed from everywhere and there's incredible healing miracles taking place and the crowds are, are getting huge and, and Jesus says, okay, let's, let's take a break from the revival uh, I'm going to go up on this mountain. And it's not a huge mountain, but it's a, a pretty good-sized mountain. Not real easy to get up there. And if he really wanted to speak to the crowd, he he probably would have stayed down below or just gone a little ways up the mountain so he could stand up and speak out to them. But he climbs up the mountain and he sits down. And his disciples sit down around him. And he begins to teach them. Now, yeah, sure, everybody, or the people who climb the mountain and get close to him, they can hear, but he's not really speaking to the multitude here. He, he's speaking to his, his followers in the Sermon on the Mount. So he, he's speaking to us. Is, is what I'm getting at. And it's, it's really his, his best stuff. And the way he concludes the sermon is, is really important because this, this is uh, our instruction <laughs> from the one who was present there at creation by whom all things were created. So he says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, or another translation says, and does them, can be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and burst against that house. And yet it did not fail, for it had been founded upon the rock. And, and we want that to be us. Because 
as I just shared with you from Matthew 24, the rain is coming, the floods are coming, the winds are coming, and the pressure of the end of days is, is going to come against us. And, and what kind of house will we have built when that time, when that time comes? And then in verse 26, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The same storm comes, the rain, the flood, the wind, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So, the love of most will grow cold. Because they, they may be heard Jesus' words in this sermon, but they did not do them. The ones who heard the words and did them were the ones who had their house built upon the rock. And when the storms and the pressures of the end of the age came against that house, it stood. So <clears throat> now the question is, what exactly does Jesus tell us to do in this sermon that will allow us to build our house upon the rock? Because a lot of what Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount is, is kind of basic Christianity 101 of how to treat people, how to live correctly before God. But, but there are some specific things that Jesus says in, in, in the middle of this message, right in, in Matthew 6, that his people will do. And, and those are the things that I want to focus on because I, I think in, in these three things are the keys to being prepared spiritually and having our house built on the rock. And, and very quickly, those, those three things are to cultivate a life of prayer, To, to give, and Arnie has covered that pretty well the last three weeks, and to fast. And, and I'm going to get more into those things be, before we're done. But I, I want to ask you, when, looking, looking back in, in your life as a follower of Jesus... When have you grown the most? When, when have you made 
the most spiritual progress. And, and for, for me, looking back in my life of following Jesus that really started seriously about age, um, when did we meet? <laughs> I was 22. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I, I, I can say it was in times of great difficulty, and it was when I was doing these three things with purpose. Because now, now these three things, a life of prayer, giving, and, and fasting, uh, Mike Bickle calls this the fasted lifestyle. He, he calls it voluntary weakness, which is such a great way to describe the effect on our life of pursuing a life of prayer, a life of fasting, and a life of giving. Because if, if you think about it, the, the times in your life when, when you have faced great difficulty and it caused you to pursue God... It was generally you lacked resources. That creates those kinds of difficulty. You, you lacked physical strength because maybe you were fighting a sickness that was just uh, very difficult. Or... Let me see the, the last one. Uh, you, some, something was, was taking away all your time and you couldn't possibly get done everything that you, you needed to do. Right? Or some combination thereof. So what happens when you pursue a life of prayer a life of purposeful fasting and a life of purposeful giving is it, it puts your flesh <laughs> into a, an artificially created crisis-like situation. This, this is the wisdom of our Creator. Because I, I, I have, I've wondered about this. And this, this is meditated on it. This is the answer that I get. That our, our, our flesh, our, our old man, uh, it, it has too much power in our lives. And, and we need to somehow weaken it so the spirit man can rise up and take preeminence as, as the Lord intended for us to live. And, and the, the Lord allows this to happen many times in our lives by crisis situations that we find ourselves in. And, and we cry out to him. And, and we, we become a people of prayer. 
our, our, our flesh is, is put in, in the background because there's something more important. And, and that is what pursuing this kind of lifestyle does. In, in a sense, it's, it's a way of moving ourselves forward with the Lord uh, more effectively, more quickly. We, we, we can get somewhere more quickly by pursuing these three things than otherwise would be possible without true crisis coming in. Isn't that amazing? Because this, this is how we build the house on the rock. It's, it's by voluntarily making our, ourselves weak to the rest of the world. It's a way of humbling ourselves. This, this voluntary weakness, it, 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 it forces us to operate in humility. If, if you fasted for more than one day from food, you know what happens to your mind. It's, it's not as sharp, especially on the third day. Uh, it gets a little foggy up there. And that, that's voluntary weakness. But Jesus says when, when we're meek, when we're humble, we're blessed. And see, here, here's the other piece of wisdom from God re- related to this. Because we, we know some things about what's going to happen as we approach the end of days. There, there's going to be a time when the people of God can't buy and sell anything. Because everybody else took a mark, and I won't get into today whether or not that's a, a literal mark or a mark of what's already gone on in here, because it could be either one. But we, we, won't, we won't be able to trade. If, if we're used to operating in hunger, <laughs> it'll be easier. And the other thing, pursuing a, a life of giving as Jesus talks about in, in Matthew 6. And, and the interesting thing is, um, is the way Jesus says some of these things related to fasting, related to prayer, and, and related to giving. He, he, he doesn't actually say to do it. He just assumes that everyone who follows him is going to do it. Be, because he, he says, and, and when you 
pray. And that one, I think he actually says three times. <laughs> and when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray. And, and what he says is, is for us to get alone with the Lord in a quiet place where nobody else can see you and nobody else knows that you're actually doing this. And then the Father will reward those who pursue him in secret. Because in Jesus' day, there were also those who, who prayed out in the marketplace and you know, wanted everybody to see them, how spiritual they were. And, and Jesus said, you know, those guys, all the attention they get, that's their reward. That's all they get. So don't be like that. And then he gives us a model prayer to start with. And again, with giving, he says a very similar thing. When and when you give, and specifically he's talking about helping the poor, when, when you give to help the poor, um, again, don't do it in such a way that people see what you're doing, because if you do it that way, then you've gotten your entire reward already. Instead, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. <laughs> so again, what he's saying is do it in secret. Do it so nobody else knows. And then your father will reward you when you do it in secret. And then the fasting thing. Again, he says, and when you fast, and when you fast, he says that one again, twice. And again, he says the same thing. Don't, because some people in his time, the Pharisees, would, would fast, and, and they, they would uh, look so miserable <laughs> that everyone would know, oh, he must be fasting. He must be really spiritual. And again, Jesus says, and don't do it like that. Uh, you know, put, put oil on your face so you look healthy and, and strong so nobody knows that, that you're actually doing this. And if you do it in secret, then your Father will reward you openly. So, time is, for some of us, our most precious commodity. Carving out time to have a true prayer life weakens us because we're, we're not able to physically get as much done. And there, there is a humbling associated with that. Because sometimes we can be proud of everything that we're able to do and accomplish. And if we take a big chunk of time, like an hour or two a day, and we dedicate it to hidden prayer with the Lord, uh, 
we now cannot get nearly as much done. But the fruit of that over time is, is that we will know God. We'll know Jesus, we'll know the Holy Spirit, we will come to enjoy being in his presence, we will come to value his presence and value relationship with him. That, that is what will be needed in the storms that are coming at the end of the age. We, we will have to know God. And in pursuing a life of prayer, there, you, you have to be willing to work through dry seasons, dry times. When, when you pray and it feels like God's not there, but he's there, he's, he sees. So we, we just keep at it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. And he gives uh, a parable about even earthly fathers knowing how to give good gifts to their children. So don't you think your Father in heaven will be better than that? And yes, he will. Giving weakens us in, in terms of, you know, some people equate money with power. Money is what we use to accumulate possessions. Well, as, as we give, we're, we can't have as many things. People don't look upon us as being of as high a status because, you know, we, we don't have the brand new car. We don't have the latest whatever uh, that people keeping up with the Joneses have to have. So, it, it, again, it, it, it brings us into a humility and, and a meekness. Because we, we've done a thing that's hard for our flesh. Because our, our, our flesh wants to look good before people. Wants to be honored before people. Uh, and it pursuing giving, it, it, it doesn't help us out in that regard. <laughs> but it... It allows us to build a house on the rock. And then fasting. You know, that's, that's just our, our natural physical strength that is compromised by fasting. And it's, it's one of the 
most difficult things for many people to say no to their flesh about is, is food. Because, you know, in, in, in our culture, in our country, for the vast majority of us, you know, we, we can eat almost whatever we want most of the time. And so for us to either fast completely of food for a day or two or three or, or more, you know, that, that is not a natural thing. Or for us to fast from a certain kind of food, uh, like a Daniel fast, where uh, you don't eat meat or you don't eat any treats or sugar and, and no, no alcohol, uh, you know, that can be done for an extended period. Uh, but pursuing these things as, as a lifestyle... Uh, does something within us, and and I'm you know I'm speaking from past and recent personal experiences because for for a time I I kind of got away from fasting and I I kind of got away from a lifestyle of prayer. I never completely quit praying, but I, I wasn't pursuing it for a while like I once was. And and something was happening, and, and it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't what I wanted to be happening. <laughs> so the the Lord has begun to give me grace to pursue all three of these things again. At, at a deeper level. Because I'll tell you, as, as I see the end of the age approaching, I want to be ready. And, and this really is, is how Jesus says to be ready. And, and it's, it's not that that by doing these things that we're earning brownie points with God or we're, we're earning his love, we're earning access to him because we, we already have all of his love that we can have. We, we already have complete access to him by the blood of Jesus. It has nothing to do with our own life this past week, whether or not we can come into his presence. It, it's about Jesus. It's pursuing these things is, a, is about strengthening us deep within in our spirit and allowing our spirit to become stronger and take preeminence in, in our being because that's the way God designed and intended for us to live. And, and we, we just can't get there <laughs> 
by trying to figure it out on our, our own. Because we're not going to get there. Uh, you know, the whoever invents a product and, and brings it to market, they, they write the manual on how you're supposed to use it. For you and me, that's Jesus. <laughs> he created us. <laughs> he, he was the author of the human heart. He, he understands how the human heart functions, how, how human beings work. And it, it, is, it is so like him. Uh, I, I mean, he, he created broccoli. And, and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and stuff that are really good for us that a lot of people don't like and, and won't eat. And, and the stuff that tastes really, really good, it's generally really, really bad for us. <laughs> so... He, he knows. He, he understands. And just per, pursuing him uh, by, by doing these hard things, th- these are hard for the flesh to do. But, you know, and, and I don't want to tell you how much time a day you you have to spend in prayer to have a life of prayer. But I don't think 10 minutes is going to get you there. Uh, You've got to seek the Lord on this. And there may be seasons when he has you pray three hours a day. And there may be other seasons when he asks less. Considerably less. I don't know. And and with fasting, you know, how how much is enough? Well, none is not enough. I think. <laughs> Seven days every week is probably too much. As you'll encounter great weakness <laughs> pretty pretty rapidly. But I, I will tell you this. You know, um, Moses did a 40-day fast. Jesus did a 40-day fast. A lot of other spiritual leaders have, have done 40-day fasts. Uh, there, there was a time, uh, this is something that the International House of Prayer does They've been doing this for 15 years. They they do this thing called the Global Bridegroom Fast, and they everybody who's on staff there fasts every Wednesday, and that's just part of what they do. But the Global Bridegroom Fast is the first consecutive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every month they fast, and then in December, uh, it's seven days, isn't it? (laughs) 
Uh huh. That was hard. I remember that. Uh, so that just doing the global bridegroom fast, you you fast forty days in a calendar year. And for uh, for Joy and I, there there was a time when the Lord was He was moving on us, and uh, we had been on the shelf for a long time, it seemed, and we just. We're, we're seeking the Lord. And, you know, Lord, you, you've spoken these things over us. You've given us these promises, and nothing is happening. And we, we want your plans and purposes fulfilled in our lives. And we said, okay, we're, gonna, we're doing this global bridegroom fast thing. And he, he spoke to us and, and met us a lot in, in that year. But the the thing that I didn't even realize until maybe a couple years later, uh, on the, the 40th day of the fast, we were invited to a meeting down at the Fort Collins Vineyard uh, to talk about what was on our hearts for Cheyenne. And that day, we entered the process of planting this church. So, you will never convince me that there is not something significant about a 40-day fast. Yeah. So, so how much is enough? You've you got to work that out with the Lord. You know, if you've never fasted before, one of the easiest ways to do a 24-hour fast is from sunset one day to sunset the next day. Because you can eat just before sunset, and the evening is easy, <laughs> and then you only have until sunset the next day to to suffer. <laughs> but if if you've never done that, I encourage you to to try it and and see what happens, and 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 don't just not eat. You you gotta spend some extra time seeking the Lord and in prayer and let let him meet you and and speak to you. And ask him what, what he wants to say to you. And just sit in silence in his presence for a while and see what happens. Because the the thing is, it, it is it is not rational for us in light of what Jesus said 
about the end of the age to think that one day we're just going to be ready for all the difficulty that will come. You know, maybe I'm not ready now, but I know God's just going to zap me and make me ready. Well, good luck with that, because that's not biblical. Uh, in the days of Noah, how long did it take for Noah to build the ark? Well, the, the answer is we, we don't know for sure, okay? Because the Bible isn't really clear about that. But it's probably somewhere between 70 and 120 years. Do you want to build an ark to get you and your family through the end of the age. And, and what are you willing to invest to build such an ark? Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah went through for 70 years? Can you believe that guy? He says it's going to rain. What, what is rain? Have you ever even heard of rain? It's never rained. Guy is nuts. He says God spoke to him. Yeah. Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted, and falsely accused because of me. Noah was blessed. I mean, we're, we're all the product of his, God's reset with, with Noah and his family. <laughs> right. And, and we're, yeah, we're going to continue to be called crazy as we pursue a God most of our generation doesn't believe in in, in ways that, that weaken us so that we're spiritually ready. To the flesh, it does not make sense. And, and fasting is, is the great confronter of the flesh. Uh, fasting and speaking in tongues. <laughs> Your flesh cannot stand either one of those because they, they do not make any logical sense. But they're both gifts from God to strengthen us spiritually. So my, my challenge 
to us is, is to um, be prepared spiritually. You know, a lot of people are, are preparing physically for what they think may happen and, and may come. And, and I think there's some wisdom in some of that. But there's great wisdom in being spiritually prepared for the end of the age. Because, I mean, there, other than being prepared spiritually, there, there's no guarantee that you, you won't be one of the five unwise virgins that we're, we're looking for the return of the bridegroom or the coming of the bridegroom, but but they weren't ready. Uh, can I pray for us? Jesus, I, I thank you that you experienced everything that we do as as a human being. And yet, you were without sin. Uh, we bless you. We thank you. I thank you for your wisdom in giving us the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to pursue a life of prayer, regular fasting, and regular giving. That we would embrace the idea of voluntary weakness. Because it does something in us that is good. So, Lord, bless your people here with grace to pursue and with a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray you'd meet us as we pursue you in prayer, that you'd strengthen us as we fast, and that we would get to know you as provider as, as we give. In Jesus' name, amen.